This is the California Liberty Project Podcast. Welcome back to the California Liberty Project Podcast. I really appreciate everyone for joining me once again on another great episode here. This is going to be one of our early episodes of the year on our weekly podcast. Um, and we've got some really important stuff, some really interesting Sacramento stuff to talk about. Um, some items, some new bills that have become laws, actually, that are going to affect all of us. Some of these have been in the headlines. We'll talk about that here in just a second with our guest, Katie Grimes. Um, so Katie, bear with me for one second. Everybody, make sure you're following us on Spotify, on Apple, on all the major podcast platforms as we continue to get the word out about our show and as we continue to grow and get more new listeners around the state and even from a lot of other states too, which has been really cool to see. Um, So welcome to all non-Californians. We hope that we are a a beacon or maybe a precautionary lesson to you all in your different states. So my guest today is Katie Grimes. Now, Katie, I believe, does editor work, a lot of writing and investigative journalism over at the California Globe, which is a great source of news for all of us in California and even outside of California. If you want to get the real scoop, if you want to find out what's going on, make sure to follow the California Globe, check them out online. And of course, uh, Katie can tell us all about that. But in the meantime, welcome, Katie. Thank you very much for joining our podcast today. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Really appreciate your time. So let's let's go ahead and jump right in with some of the January 2024 stuff. Um, I know there have been a lot of great pieces, really informational pieces over at the California Globe, and you've written several of those. So before we, I guess before we even jump into that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you, you came to be in, in California journalism, following California politics. And um, also, how about a little introduction to the California Globe's work. Sure. Thank you. Um, Well, I'm a California native, so it's kind of born and bred in me. Um, I've been in, uh, I've been a writer for a very, very long time and initially started as an opinion writer, um, but felt sourcing and proving with data is super important. And it just kind of fed its way into news reporting as well as investigative journalism. Um, The California Globe is a really nice, easy to access, single source for people if they're looking for honest reporting from the state capitol. It's where I report. Um, We have a bevy of freelancers. We've got other reporters um, who are covering the state politics. We really try to drill down on things that we notice a lot of the mainstream media does not. And so we, you know, you get barraged with the mainstream media. We fill in all those gaps for you about what's really going on. Yeah, excellent. And I found it to be really, really um, a very helpful and useful resource to, as you said, to kind of get beyond just the the headlines. There are those headlines. And then we all start screaming, you know, say, oh, what's going on? We get our pitchforks. But then getting more information is always key. It's always something we need to do as informed citizens. So to that end, let's, let's jump right in, get back to it. How about in terms of headlines here? And we talked very briefly about this Mm -hmm. um, before we hit record here. This $68 billion budget deficit that even made national news, you know, the national media loves to to join in and kind of laugh at at Newsom and the eccentricities and extremities here in California. But tell us, 
you know, in, in a minute or two or as long as you want to take, what is the, what are the facts about this $68 billion budget deficit? And now Newsom's claiming it's, it's way overblown. It's $30 billion less than that. Can you kind of walk us through some of those important facts as we worry about financial oblivion here in our state? Well, um, Governor Newsom's budget um, has made a, a wild swing from a couple years ago, year before last, and part of last year, claiming that we had this $100 billion surplus in the state to now what the Legislative Analyst's Office was reporting as a $68 billion deficit. Um, the governor, during his budget presentation last week, um, rather got re- rather snarky about the legislative analyst's office insisting that it was a $68 billion deficit. He claims it's $38 billion, um, and yet the legislative analysts have come out Friday and again today saying, no, it's $68 billion. The governor is just trying to be optimistic. I think they're being very kind. They know who appoints them in their jobs. Um, but it is important to know the actual size of the deficit. And a lot of that happened because instead of salting away, uh, if we actually did have a surplus, which I certainly questioned the validity of, but the governor and the Democrats in the supermajority in the legislature did not put money away for the inevitable downturn in the economy. Um, they created all kinds of new programs, which is why we find ourselves here in this deficit position again. They didn't pay down debt. They you know, didn't kind of put money away for education or special programs that were already in play. They created a bunch of new stuff in their attempt to continue to grow government. And that's really what happens almost every year at budget time. Right, right. Okay, so it wasn't so much, if we look at the ledger just a little bit, it wasn't so much, oh, there's a giant loss in tax revenue. It sounds like it's more of just spending, 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 and not really being prudent when we allegedly have a $100 billion surplus. It's kind of on that side of the ledger, it sounds like, right? It's pretty, it, it, it is both because there was a significant loss in revenue in that it wasn't just 800,000 Californians that left the state in 2022, which is big because those are income earners and they tend to be higher educated people. Right. Um, a lot of businesses left also. Right. And we, the state relies heavily on uh, tax revenue for the budget. So yeah, it, it's both. It's, it's, it's increasing okay. spending and ignoring the fact that a lot of the tax revenue was leaving. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. No, that's, that's a key thing to note. And I think since that is, does appear to be the case then, losing highly skilled workers, right? Losing either college educated or highly paid workers, and even some maybe small business owners, um, maybe even some yes. corporate workers. I mean, that that really would chip away at the tax base, of course. And we know that this has been happening. I mean, California famously lost a congressional seat and hence an elector in a presidential election. We know that the state is shrinking, right. at least with legal residents, right? <laughs> yeah, sadly, that is that is accurate. And what happens when you lose that middle class tax base or when it, you know, it, it's we're chipping away at it with the losses is it forces this tax reliant state to rely more on the, the very wealthy, the, the, the billionaires, not just the millionaires anymore, but the billionaires. And that is makes for a very unstable um, uh, fiscal situation. Yeah, that's right. And, and we've all talked about, many of us have talked about this a long time. It's very dangerous to just say, hey, the rich, they're, they're an inexhaustible source of riches, right? No pun intended. We can always tap them more yeah. and more and more 
well, the top 1% is already paying almost you know 35 to 40%. I don't know how much more is their fair share, but uh, at a certain point, those people get up and leave, I would imagine, right? Yeah, they have an easier time leaving than the rest of us uh, because they probably already have houses in other states that are lower tax states. They're just kind of tolerating California at this point. Yeah. And so, okay, speaking about kind of the war on the rich, which is classic for the left, um, yeah, from Marx all the way down to so-called moderate Democrats, you know, moderates, and even progressives here in California. Alex Lee, this young kid or young adult yes. gentleman, uh, I, I believe out of Silicon Valley, San Jose, he represents somewhere in that area. AB 259. Can you tell us a little bit about the threat? You know, last week or maybe the week before, everyone was freaking out about the wealth tax. And obviously that is very scary. But it seems like Newsom might have slapped that down. Um, or what exactly happened with this AB 259 and the wealth tax, Katie? Well, it was very interesting. So Alex Lee, you are correct, is a very young uh, legislator. I don't believe he's ever had another job and lived with his parents still when he got elected. So it seems a little ironic to me that he's the guy that proposed the wealth tax. Um, but this is not his first rodeo with this. He proposed this particular bill last year and uh, discovered along the way through the committee process that it really wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, and and you, you can see why. We just kind of covered it. Uh, and, and with Governor Newsom absolutely insisting, almost getting um, really defensive about it during the budget uh, presentation the other day, and you'll recall he was very, very upset with the Wall Street Journal for continuing to write about California's proposed wealth tax, that the same day he was presenting his budget, Assemblyman Alex Lee was presenting his wealth tax bill in a legislative committee, and it just had to be shelved because that's politics. Yeah. Okay. So uh, for the moment right now, that issue is, at least for right now, a dead letter, correct? Uh, no, it's not. It will come back, I assure you. Um, this, this particular bill, the wealth tax, uh, was only going to um, add an additional tax uh, to the most wealthy in the state. So that 1% crowd. Um, uh, and those are the people, frankly, that Gavin Newsom hangs out with. So I imagine it's not very popular in his social circles, but you can rest assured this bill will come back again, or it will come back in another form. And we certainly have other forms of wealth taxes in California. Right now, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers sure. Association is fighting the death tax, which is essentially a wealth tax right. on property you already paid taxes on. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. I, I saw a little bit about that. And I didn't know if that was kind of tied in euphemistically to this. But that's a whole separate thing. This uh, the death tax issue yeah. in California. I'm sorry, they're trying to qualify a ballot initiative, I think for the next election to it was in Proposition 19, I believe in 2020 or 22. Um, that this language was kind of deviously snuck into another a ballot initiative that that reintroduced the death tax to um, parents transferring property upon someone's death to their children. Yeah. So in other words, I mean, as as is always the case, because we have a legislature, as as you know all too well, that meets every year and they're in session. They go through their legislative calendar for what nine, ten months a year. I mean, we're not like Texas or other big states where they have a legislature that kind of meets every other year. Yeah. These people, they take the holidays off, then they come back chomping at the bit, right? Ready to go, I guess, with new wealth tax bills. Uh, maybe we could yes. face another wealth tax and sounds like maybe more uh, death tax bills and everything else. Yeah, exactly. We have 
many, many tax bills that get introduced every year in the legislature. Um, and, and that this is one of them. Let me ask you too, you had done some writing on some of the new bills, um, the new laws and whatnot for 2024. And I guess they had been passed last year in last year's session, 2023, I believe. So I'm looking at, um, your first big uh, package of bills, the first grouping in your piece uh, from a couple weeks ago, January 2nd, that everyone should read. Um, California braces for universal health care, reproductive justice, and abortion rights, tenants, and workers' benefits. Uh, comprehensive piece, just really kind of bullet pointing out and summarizing a bunch of the different laws. Let me ask you, on these the abortion and so-called reproductive justice bills, why were we facing so many of these bills mm-hmm. this year? I mean, California already has very, very liberal or progressive abortion rights laws, right? So was this in response to Roe v. Wade? Is that kind of what's going on? Yeah, it's it's a huge response to that, um, which all, all the Supreme Court did, as you know, and your, your listeners know, just kicked it back down to the states instead of it being a federal issue, which is fr- frankly how it should have been all along. As you say, California has very, very liberal policies already on uh, abortion in this state. Um, But we saw some really, really radical bills being proposed, including one that um, was being referred to as infanticide in that it authorized abortion up through the ninth month of pregnancy. And that one did get passed and signed into law. So that is that is current law. Which one was that, Katie? It was a bill by Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks. Um, they Buffy changed Wicks. a little bit of the language in it in order to get it passed, but um, it's still one of those nine-month pregnancy um, bills that allows abortion. Yeah, and those are the ones that when they're asked about it, it's funny when conservatives or other people, even independents, ask Democrats about some of these radical and permissive abortion rights laws up to the moment of birth, we always hear. Well, it's not just a talking point. In California, it sounds like it is a reality. Yeah, it is a reality. And it and it's it's horrific. Yeah, that's, that is horrifying. Yeah, I covered it pretty thoroughly throughout the process. And um, it was a it was a game of semantics with the Democrats pushing this bill and people, you know, pushing against it. And, you know, as as you pointed out, this was the California Legislative Women's Caucus and Future of Abortion Council which is, you know, this council they created, and they call it reproductive justice and reproductive rights. Um, And as I point out, uh, the unborn baby obviously has no reproductive rights since, you know, they're proposing to kill it at any stage during the, the pregnancy. Right, right. It's just amazing. And I think you pointed this out in general in your piece and all of your work, um, probably over the entire year and previous years. Every year, we have, what, thousands of new bills that are passed, not only new abortion bills, although it might seem like thousands of abortion yes. and healthcare, you know, um, rights, but it's just law upon law. Just when we think, okay, California has completely legalized abortion, we get it, right? Then it's like they pass a whole other slew of these abortion yeah. rights laws. It's just incredible. It is. The other, the other bill that was passed and signed into law by Governor Newsom was 
um, a kind of an abortion travel bill. So if you live in one of the godforsaken red states that's actually put limitations on how long you, into your pregnancy you can have an abortion, is how they feel, um, California will pay for your travel to the state, will pay for your hotel and car rental while you're here, and pay for your abortion so that you can do that in this state instead of your own state. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, a lot of these too, some of them make headlines and, and we all kind of pick up on those, but I, I'm amazed when you dig into this just a little bit, how many additional bills actually got passed? Let me ask you, do you have the approximate number of bills that got signed into law uh, from 2023? You know, I actually apologize. I can't remember the total number, but it's usually around 1,200. So 1,200 new laws that we free citizens have to comply with, um, or there's got to be new regulatory agencies or beefed up regulatory agencies and oversight. Um, just incredible. And then sheriffs and police departments have to follow these, um, health and human services, on and on and on. Absolutely amazing. I'm also looking at some of your summaries of the landlord and tenant bills. Can you give us kind of the Maybe some of the, the key, key things yeah. there, um, the key new laws there. It seems like they're kind of a lot. And I'm wondering, in addition to you know talking about some of the key bills that are passed on that front, why are we getting into tenants and landlords after all these years? Has anything changed fundamentally? Um, as we saw during COVID um, with landlords, the legislature, first the governor through executive order, and then this is what kind of precipitated some of these landlord-tenant bills. Um, made it so that, A, landlords couldn't kick anybody out of their residences during the COVID lockdowns. And then after that, um, Assembly Bill 12 was passed that limits the amount of uh, money um, uh, a landlord can charge for security deposit. It can only be essentially equal to one month's rent, as opposed to landlords usually did kind of first and last month's rent or whatever that total was without calling it that. So now they're just limited to the one, the one month of, of rent, which is, um, you know, it, it greatly harms landlords. And it's going to, frankly, what, what the legislature doesn't understand is it's going to force landlords to do an even deeper dive into people to make sure that they are credit worthy enough to rent an apartment or duplex. Yeah. And if we continue cracking down, and I say we very, uh, very loosely, but if the state of California continues cracking yeah. down on landlords with stricter regulations, more legislation, obviously that's going to make it hard on the supply side. And then they turn around and they wonder, well, why do we have right. a housing crisis? Well, you make it really hard to be a landlord. It's not easy to build new homes anywhere in the state for the most part. And then then they turn around Correct. and they they scratch their heads and say, hey, why is housing so expensive? You know, it's, it's like kind of supply and demand, right? Yeah, it is. It's all created. The, the problems are all created by the legislature one way or another, whether it's building costs and or the regulations against landlords. So, Katie, let me ask you about um, some of the energy related um, and you know, energy climate environment bills uh, that you had that you had highlighted. Mm -hmm. um, in general, uh, where are we with with carbon neutrality, you know, for the state? Some of these mandates, if, if you know that off of the top of your head, you know, essentially, are we still on track to do away with internal combustion engines uh, for the most part in new cars by 2035? Are we still headed toward this, uh, you know, carbon neutrality by 2045? Where are we with that whole process? 
in this new green economy? Yeah. Um, what I will tell you is there's nothing green about this economy. Um, the governor and the Democrats and the special interests pushing this stuff are completely ignoring the reality that, A, um, as far as getting rid of the internal combustion engine by 2035, we've now got car dealers. Uh, I read an article recently about um, uh, GM and Ford dealerships were having to be bought out by the, the manufacturer because the owners of these dealerships said, A, nobody wants to buy these electric cars, and B, I don't want to sell them. And so they're now out of the business. So we're starting to see that. As far as more wind and solar, you know, supposed clean energy, the state completely ignores the fact that nuclear is very clean, as clean as you can get. Um, they're taking off hydroelectric dams up in the north part of the state and trying to force everybody into wind and solar, which cannot possibly um, fuel the electricity grid. We know, I mean, we already suffer, you know, rolling blackouts in the heat of the summer. Um, I'm up in Northern California where even in the wintertime, as soon as it gets windy or stormy enough, they shut the power off because they're worried about trees falling on power lines. So um, I think the state's a mess. They would, they would certainly serve themselves and all of us better if they would just clean up the existing mess and then maybe talk about something more practical like an all-of-the-above approach of you know, coal, natural gas, nuclear, hydro, wind, solar, you know, algae power, whatever else they want. Right. Yeah, and I mean, the reality is, is clear, as you, as you mentioned there. We are getting the overwhelming majority of our power still, even with all these mandates, it's still coming from natural gas. I guess mm -hmm. coal less and less so these days, but yes. natural gas is a very good solution for the time being for our power plants. But they yes. want to attack that. They want to take those offline and reduce those. But everything else, solar and some of the, and certainly wind, it's not yet ready for prime time. I mean, it's a small percentage. I think no. it's a very small percentage of our entire electricity generation here. Meanwhile, we're importing what? More than two-thirds of our oil from elsewhere, from abroad, even internationally. Yes. And these are places with very yes. strained human rights and environmental records of their own. So if that is what progressives are tipping their cap to, that, well, we have to look out for the environment. We have to look out for the rights of people in these communities in the Central Valley, in the Central Valley. Well, what do you think is happening in Iraq or Ecuador, Saudi Arabia, um, Newsom, and Sacramento? Yeah, exactly. Plus, we're seeing this push for offshore wind farms, which we're seeing more and more reports that the you know the, the sonars killing whales, the wind farms kill raptors, eagles, and hawks, and ospreys, and um, so I think it shows you that, A, these people are really not environmentalists at all. I think what's happening here is what we've seen in lots of other particularly uh, special interest nonprofit groups. They create a nonprofit to solve a problem that they deem as a problem, like the spotted owl, you know, up in our, in our, you know, timber forests or, you know, plastic bags versus paper bags, that kind of thing. Once the, once their bill gets passed into law, they don't go away and say, Hey, thanks everybody. They create a new problem instead of actually acknowledging if an environmental problem a, really existed, or B, is actually fixed. So this is why you see them switch from what was promoted on our, certainly on all of our city buses as clean natural gas, not very long ago, and a lot of the buses still say that, to, ooh, it's dirty, we can't frack. Um, so that's, that's really what's going on. This is all special interest promoted, and it has nothing to do with environmentalism. 
Yeah, that's that's right. And and even the fracking thing kind of cracks me up because small scale fracking on individual yeah. wells has been done for the past probably six decades or more here in California. It's the only way some of the the oil can actually be liberated from the formations yes. underground. People don't know that. You know, they might have seen what Gasland or one of those, you know, hyper sensationalized documentaries, and then <laughs> they run away and say, "Ah, oh, it's the end of the world. It's going to destroy our drinking water." And it's like. Yeah, that's that's just not how the science actually works, guys. Yeah. But alas, that's what we're dealing with. Exactly. Um, let me yes. uh, let me just ask about a different topic here. Maybe maybe a bit of good news here, where we're actually we've got a law that um, is, I think, looks like it's protecting uh, life, protecting the vulnerable, and that would be going through your piece here, uh, SB fourteen, which was pushed and sponsored by Shannon Grove in the <laughs> Senate, and it. Surprisingly, I don't know why this is surprising, but surprisingly, because it was a Republican bill, essentially, Newsom did sign it. Yeah, I guess he wants to portray himself in some cases as a moderate or a sensible pragmatist. And can you tell us a little bit about SB 14, what it actually does with human trafficking, uh, Katie? And then also maybe while you're talking about it, why was it opposed on the other side? Who would who would oppose this? I don't understand. Yeah, this this is an interesting story because um, Senate Bill 14 is the a reaction, a proper reaction to Proposition 47, uh, which was passed, you know, stupidly by voters in 2014, who were duped into believing it actually was going to be the Safe Neighborhoods and Streets Act, um, and it didn't. It completely upended, frankly, our judicial system. Took a lot of authority away from judges who used to be able to order people to drug court instead of, you know, prison if they were willing to go clean. All kinds, you know, it's it's the same uh, proposition that authorized theft every day up to nine hundred and fifty dollars. It's it was just a horrible, horrible proposition. But some of the other things that it did do was essentially decriminalize sex trafficking of minors. It decriminalized date rape. Um, some really, really violent crimes. So Senator Shannon Grove has been trying for years to at least get some of it overturned, and particularly the sex trafficking issue, because as she continued to remind people is th- there's, a, unfortunately, a very healthy sex trafficking trade here in California. Um, what happened was when she finally got this bill, you know, she, she pretty much had to coerce Democrats to even let it get to the committee level. It started to get heard in the Assembly Public Safety Committee, and Democrats are so partisan, they tried to block it and prevent it from going anywhere. They tried to kill it, and it was pure politics. Um, fortunately, there were people paying attention, and Shannon Grove, uh, Senator Grove, uh, you know, went on TV, did interviews, and said, Please, God, this is just trying to make sex trafficking illegal again. And that's all it was about. And um, it, it, it took some very, very serious public shaming. Um, but fortunately, I wrote about it. There were some other reporters in the state who covered it. Some of the television news channels did cover it. And um, the Assembly Public Safety Committee, which has nothing to do with public safety anymore, they're, they're, they promote defunding the police. So it's kind of a joke. Um, They were publicly shamed. And Senator Grove appealed directly to Governor Newsom, which was brilliant on her behalf, because what's he going to say? No, I want sex trafficking. And knowing that he's 
you know, claims he's not running for president, but is still on a very high profile national level. Um, he put pressure on the Public Safety Committee. They reconsidered it, passed the bill, and eventually it passed all the other committees and was signed into law by Governor Newsom. So yes, it is a good thing. But it did not overturn Prop 47, just this one piece of it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That Prop 47 is really um, dangerous. I wouldn't say legislation. It's obviously a proposition. Thanks, California and democracy, right? But um, yeah, on SB 14, you know, even for a, a lot of libertarians that I'm friends with and whatnot, this is one where it's like that. this doesn't have to be uh, controversial at all. I think everyone can get behind protecting the rights of minors uh, being trafficked for sexual purposes. So I think a lot of people's minds were just blown last year um, when this whole thing kind of blew up. Thank God Newsom was pressured into actually signing SB 14, right? Yes. Yeah, it was a good decision. So let me ask you there, speaking of good old Governor, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom. So everyone's been talking about, we've all been chatting about you know, he's really interested in, in running for president, right? He wants to step in if, if Biden is incapacitated or if the Dems decide to throw Biden overboard right before the convention mm -hmm. or, or whatever might happen. Do you have any, any more reporting on that? Any other facts or even your sense, um, you know, your, your intuition or anything you might want to share or not share? Um, what is what's going on with this? Because everyone talks about it. It's almost like common knowledge, like, oh, yeah, Newsom's he wants to be the guy, you know, if, if Biden steps down. What's actually going on? What's a scuttlebutt in Sacramento? Or maybe you don't want to, to say maybe you want to stick to the facts, which is fair, too. Well, I think uh, I think Gavin Newsom's strategy has been very interesting. Um, you know, we all say he doth protest. But he did that world tour where he went to Israel after the Hamas attack, and then he goes to China, and I think just be clowned himself, um, and frankly made California a laughing stock because then China came here for the big, um, you know, worldwide meeting in San Francisco, and they were mocking, you know, how disgusting it was. Um, the the thing that Gavin Newsom I think is holding out hope for is that. He's tried to set himself up as having to take one for the team when they finally have to come to him and say, Gavin, rescue us from the Biden people. I, I kind of think that's been his strategy. Um, I also think, though, when Gavin Newsom signed the bill into law, uh, giving full health care to illegal immigrants in the state, I think that pretty much nullified him for president. There's no way people in the rest of the country would vote for him anyway. Uh, I do think there's a problem there, but, but I think that could have solidified um, that they need to look at someone else. I also hear from contacts in Washington, D.C. that he is, um, people don't like him in D.C. So, um, and I can see why, you know, I think he comes off smug and elitist and there's plenty of that in Washington, D.C. already. Yeah, no, that, that, that is absolutely the case. It, one of my fundamental questions, too, with all this, these kinds of rumors and this discussion is how would he kind of sidestep or jump in front of, maybe leapfrog is a better word, how would he get in front of Kamala Harris, who's VP, um, who's a woman of color that they always like to talk about that conferring kind of extra right. protections? How does he leapfrog Kamala Harris? Um, and how would that even work? I, from what I understand, they're not very close being both from the Bay area, but I, I don't know. That's just, I don't know how this would work. 
Yeah, I, I think there's a huge rivalry there, certainly at this point. Um, and it does make you question how the DNC could possibly pick an elitist white guy over the vice president female of color. Yeah, the optics that they've entirely created. The rest of us don't care about any of that. But the optics that they've created right. have, have made this a right. mess. So you ask a very good question. Yeah, and I guess we'll just kind of wait and see on that one. And I am kind of amazed that with everything that we think, you know, his ambitions are and what's coming up, it's kind of incredible that he he has signed some of these bumbling, you know, pieces of legislation, like going forward with his, uh, what, the full scope Medi-Cal, you know, including illegal immigrants and whatnot. Yeah. It, it's shocking. I, I can't believe it. It's like he's shooting himself in the foot on this. I don't get it exactly. but Yeah, he's a tough one to figure out on the bills he does sign into law because he did sign some of the most radicalized bills um, like the one, you know, uh, Senate Bill 770. As I wrote in the article, California you know, is bracing yes. for full universal health care. It calls for kicking people off of their Medicare and kicking people out of their private health plans. A, legally, I don't see how he can possibly do it. And I, I admit, imagine there would be massive lawsuits. Uh, but yeah, it's a bad decision. Yes. So let me ask you, on SB 770, which does appear in the piece, authored by Senator Scott Wiener, one of the, the most extreme there in Sacramento, it kind of lays out or sets the groundwork for single payer. But let me ask you, if, if you know more of the details on that, how does it actually, yeah. does it actually phase out existing health coverage or does it kind of just begin laying the groundwork for that? Or how, do, how does it work in the bill? What's the mechanism? Well, I think what they're trying to do is remember um, back when Jerry Brown was still governor, um, covered California became California's answer to Obamacare. And I think what it would do is essentially force everybody onto covered California. Um, and remember Covered California was not widely accepted by Californians. So then the legislature and governor passed a law stating that if you don't, if, if you have no other health care and don't sign up for Covered California, you get taxed every year an $800 tax for not having health care. So they're already penalizing people for not joining it right. if they don't have other options. This is probably going to be handled that way through the, the mechanisms set up kind of through Obamacare, covered California. I did not realize that was going to be a big piece of it. That's horrifying for yeah. a lot of us, certainly horrifying for me. And you're right. It's going to trigger massive lawsuits. I don't know how they could get away with that otherwise. I don't either. So let me, let me ask you with maybe a few minutes that we have left, do you have any sense or any coverage on electoral politics here in California? Um, does it look like are Republicans going to pick up any seats in the assembly? I, I think they had like only 18 out of 80. It was, it was a very, very minimal, very anemic minority um, and not that dissimilar in the 40-seat Senate. Uh, do you have any sense of how things are expected to go? Are we going to kind of uh, end up with about the same in the legislature or any, any ideas on that? Right now, I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm I'm hearing that probably about the same, um, but yeah, I don't. I don't have a good feel yet for what's going on in the races in the in the state senate. Okay, yeah, I, I know there's always these currents, you know, and of course, just presidential politics is really just getting getting uh, going right now. Actually, with Iowa yeah. caucuses being today, 
I know a lot of times presidential uh, trends and the winds of presidential and national politics can kind of shape us a little bit, but it's kind of a, it's a different year. It seems like a weird mm-hmm. year. I don't know exactly where we're headed. Um, and I'm not sure what the, uh, the effects are going to be on California, but I guess we will find out very shortly. I think we will. <laughs> so uh, Katie, I, I really appreciate your time here today in the interview. So as far as if people want to follow the work that you're doing, because um, there's there's a lot, you're, you're writing a lot of pieces each week and editing and putting together great journalism on California politics and news. Give us all the ways that people can stay in contact with and follow California Globe on social media and then your website as well. Okay, thanks. Um, CaliforniaGlobe.com is our website. There's no paywall. So you can read it every day. There's no charge, which is hard to find these days. Um, You can find California Globe also on Twitter or X. I still call it Twitter and I still tweet. Um, We are also on Facebook, as am I. Um, On on Facebook, I'm Katie Grimes. On Twitter, I'm uh, at Katie Sack Citizen. And um, yeah, you're right. We're very, very busy. Very busy. Well, I want to, uh, to certainly thank you for all the great work that uh, you're doing over there at the California Globe. I would em- encourage people to go over there, check it out, make it a, make it a daily read, Cer- certainly check in every few days. If you want to know what's going on in Sacramento and with the State House and in our state in general, uh, it's a great resource. So uh, Katie, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, hopefully we'll talk to you again uh, this year, find out what's going to happen in the legislature. You bet. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, thank you for joining me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. This has been the California Liberty Project Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, share it with others, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter.